Today I want to talk to you about words. Words are so, so, so powerful. And you'll see from the scripture, I was amazed as I was studying for this morning's message, how much the Bible has to say about our words and how powerful they are. Powerful good and powerful bad. Also, I wanted to talk to you just a, just a quick bit before we start that you know, part of what we do in this part of our service is teaching, right? I mean, if, if God reveals something to me and then I reveal it to you, and some of you might have already known it, some of you may not have, but, but it's, it's a way that um, he builds up the church through teaching. But he also, and this is the part I think, honestly, he uses, maybe not everyone, but me, is more from the perspective of encouragement, to remind us, to keep us fresh, to, to keep us always in that place where we're walking down the center of the narrow path. So uh, if I ask most of you on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, what, what did I speak about on Sunday? You may not be able to say. You won't remember the details or anything, but God uses this as a way to constantly keep us on that path. The big picture, the impressions that he makes upon us through his word when we teach is really, really important. So the first scripture I'm going to read to you is from Hebrews this morning. There's so many dynamics in this Three verses of scripture, chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's this teaching in these little three verses of Scripture, hold fa- holding fast to our, the confession of our hope, that's Jesus, right? What did he tell us to do in the Great Commission? He told us to go out and teach people all these things that he's commanded, right? Holding fast to the confession, confession of Jesus as Lord and Savior by faith, by commitment to his lordship. And he, and he goes on and he talks about stimulating one another to love and good deeds. Why do we need to stimulate one another to love and good deeds? Honestly, the answer is, I think, pretty simple, because we might not do good deeds and give away love if we weren't stimulated to do it. If, if we were outside the gathering together of the, sta- the saints, the encouragement of the body, we would wander from that place where Jesus would have us to be. It happens all the time. It's not, it's not very regular that you see somebody walk away from fellowship with the body of Christ and improve their relationship with Jesus. And and that's because he built us to not have it all, right? We only get a piece. Everybody's got something to give, and everybody's got got a a place of need. And that way, he keeps the body dependent on each other and ultimately abiding in him. Um, (laughs) Why the assembling together? I think I just answered my question, but the answer I put down in here is because they didn't text in the first century. Now... Now, texting is really a great way to encourage people. A lot of times in my early morning prayers, the Holy Spirit will put somebody on my heart, and I'll send them a text. And they'll reply back, wow, thanks so much. I really needed that. You know, that was from the Lord. So I'm not saying texting's a bad thing, but texting should not be the way that we assemble together, right? We'll all just kind of roll face up in bed and start texting a church service. Not the plan. Internet church, I don't think, is a good program. I mean, it's better than no church at all, but I don't think that's God's plan for the assembling of the saints. And then the third question I wrote down is, why do we encourage one another? Why does he say that we need to encourage one another? Because we need to be encouraged. I'm telling you, we really do. You have no idea what this last two and a half years, well, maybe you do because you see me cry about every other Sunday. Who doesn't have Facebook? (laughs) 
the Greens were talking about why their daddy wasn't going to be in church or wasn't going to be home all day Saturday when he had to go on a business trip on Sunday and be gone for a week. That's a pretty big deal when, when Ben Green's not home with his family, especially when he's not going to be home with them the next week. And they were talking about because we had to put the, you know, do the work at the church and everything. They were telling them about the different parts of the church. And they told them about, they must have maybe had the picture, I don't know. But they told them about the cry room. And who was it said that? Parker? Okay, you won't embarrass the kid. They, they thought the cry room was for me. <laughs> so maybe you do know what this last couple and a half years has been like for me. But it's been really trying. You know, all my insecurities, all those kinds of things. And when, when somebody comes up and says, you're doing a good job. That was a good message, man. I think that was from heaven. You have no idea. It's what gets you to the next week when you're not sure of yourself. When you're learning that you don't have what you need to do what you have to do. And as you are in that gap between relying on yourself and learning to rely on God, encouragement matters a lot. He teaches us that we should encourage one another because we all need to be encouraged. Okay? All right. The downside of an iPad, somebody sent me a message. (laughs) A few weeks ago, I talked about, and it was just on the fly, what I called the three E's, to um, exhort, to encourage, and to edify. To exhort is to strongly, it's funny, these things, are they all use each other in their definitions. To strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. So when we're exhorting a person, it's, it's to really give him encouragement, to give him strength, Onto something. So when I'm talking to you about reading the Bible, I believe so passionately about how important it is for a Christian to be well grounded in God's Word. I'm very strongly encouraging you. I'm exhorting you to read God's Word. That, that's what it means to exhort, to encourage, to give support, confidence, or hope to somebody. Encouragement is so, you know, I, I have no hope that I could do this, but the encouragement of the, the body to me got me to the place where, okay, I'll try it again next Sunday, and I'll try it again next Sunday. And when somebody calls with a problem, I have no earthly answer to their problem, but I know God does. Okay, I'll try and and intercede on their behalf and help them with that. Encouragement is such a big deal. Um, I think about Annika. I've told you before. I'm just, I don't want to know whether she likes it if I talk about her. She was born in uh, Cambodia, orphaned as a little baby, adopted by a family, unadopted by them and then adopted by us. Do you know, for the spirit of, um, oh, I lost the word, rejection, how easy it would be for the spirit of rejection to get into Annika's heart, you know? I tell her a thousand times a day I love her. I tell her a thousand times a day I'm so glad that she came to be part of our family. I tell her a thousand times a day how wonderful she is. And about 998 of them, she says, I'm so sick of hearing this from you. But I know what's going on. I'm battling that spirit. I know that if, if, if I just go by what she says or how she looks on the outside, that I'm going to give place to a spirit that's going to try and hurt her. And I don't want to do that. I encourage her all the time, all the time with words because they're so powerful. The last one, to edify, give support, confidence, or hope. The same three words that are used in the definition of encourage, but it says to strengthen and build up morally and spiritually. So, Edification is to build us up morally and spiritually. Um, Margie, when she was singing, she talked about having clean hands, and sometimes she doesn't know if what she lifts up are clean hands. And, and, and if I could have talked to her in that moment, I'd say, your hands are spotless. 
I don't care that you said a bad word. I don't care that, that you, know, you stumbled a little bit last week. I would say what she said to herself, that the, the Lord sees you as holy. And all those spots and all those uh, wrinkles are being smoothed away and washed off because you're awesome and God loves you spiritually and morally, building us up, encourage, edify, exhort. These are the kind of words that we just need to constantly force into our vocabulary. Words that, that, that just build people up and make them understand who they are. One of the biggest things the devil uses to hurt us is, is to try to draw our identity someplace different than where God has it. And, and if we don't find our, our identity and where the word teaches us it is, then we're susceptible to these flaming arrows that the enemy will shoot into our mind. They get past our shield of faith because it's weakened in that we don't see our identity the way God does. Edify, exhort, and encourage. Such, such important words. Um, when we speak... And I just have to apologize to you. I really believe that this word is for today, but I could not arrange it in such a way that it seemed like it had a flow. So if it feels like I'm just dorian all over the place, you just have to bear with me this morning. It's, it's all excellent scripture, and maybe it's in the right order, but it's not feeling that way as it comes out. Um, another thing to be aware of is, in, in the kingdom, there are different places of authority. Right in, in my home, I have a place of authority as the head of my home. And in that authority, I have the power of blessing and cursing that's very strong over those people that are under my authority. My, my, my ability to bless and curse somebody who's not under my authority is less than the, the power that I have within, right? If I were to, um, as a pastor, I think I have spiritual authority over the congregation that is church on the street. If, if I stumble, it creates bigger problems, for you guys, and it might for anybody else. If, if I'm holy in the way I walk, if my leadership is, is godly and I'm on the narrow path, it provides a greater witness here than it might someplace else because this is the place that God set me in authority. So be conscious, especially fathers, when you're talking to your children. When you speak um, an encouraging and edifying, a building up word, it comes with the authority of heaven because you stand in Christ's authority and he's given you Control, just like dominion of the earth with Adam. It's the same concept. It's the same principle. And understand, when you speak that negative word to your child, there's a word of correction. God disciplines us, and he, and he teaches us all through the word, especially in Proverbs, how important it is for us to embrace um, correction, that it's a fool that won't embrace correction. There's a word of correction that's okay, but there's not damning words to your children are really, really, really bad. Um, let's see. An example, I don't do this as an experiment, but, but I'm very conscious of what I'm learning in the Bible and trying to, trying to just be aware if I can see it in my life. So we play softball, right? Church on the Street has a softball team. Um, there's a whole bunch of other churches that are part of our league. And one of them is Cornerstone Church over on Hickory Ridge Road. They have a team that's in our softball league. And this is the place I've noticed it the most. When we play the other teams, there, there's a certain team within our league that none of the other teams seem to like. That Their, their fans are, are not necessarily polite. There's always friction and stuff whenever you know, other teams play that team. But when we play that team, zero friction. Never a, a negative word spoken. No problems at all. But when we play softball, our team, if the other team hits a home run, man, we're saying, great job, good hit. When, uh, when somebody gives us the ball, we say, thank you. We just, we just constantly are sowing words of uh, goodness into our opposition. 
If, if there's a play at first base and our guy was safe by two seconds before the ball got there, but they said he's out, our guy goes back to the bench, he's out. We're not going to argue about it. It's stupid. There's starving children in Africa. We're not going to fight over a stupid church softball game, right? We're going to have a Christian witness. We have a Christian witness. So I'm starting to notice the more that we do this, the more things change. And we're playing Cornerstone last week. And, I mean, we're just loving on these guys. And they're struggling. They're, they just beat the snot out of us the first time we played them. They mercied us both games. And we were winning the games this time. And they were starting to have stress. And they were praying a little bit with each other between innings. But the response to, not just thank you, but thank you very much when the guy throws you the ball when it's your turn to pitch or, or picks up the bat and hands it to you, all the way to the point where I, I, I wear this helmet. I'm the pitcher because I can't, I'm slow and not very good, I guess. But anyway, I wear a helmet with a face mask because the ball comes back at me pretty fast sometimes when those guys hit it. And so I got out at first base. I had to go back to the bench and you know put my little helmet on and everything. And one of their guys picked the ball up from the mound, walked all the way across the field, around the fence, so he could hand it to me personally before I went out to pitch. I know the reason why that is. It's because of our character. And the character is manifested in our words, in our actions. And if we would have used just not even over the top those words, just normal words, he would have never carried that ball over to me like that. They would have never responded to us the way that they did. If we'd have gone just a little bit worse and said, he was out, you said he's safe, but he was out. Just a a legitimate argument because we thought it was true that whole dynamic changes. When we use words and the power of words for God's glory and God's good, and we check ourselves, it is amazing how the countenance of people and even groups of people change. It's cool. You should see it. At softball, it's absolutely amazing. All right. I think that one was more cool to me than you. Our words not only curse other people, but they have impact on us. Scripture reads in Psalm 34, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil evil, 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 and your lips from speaking deceit. So if you want to see life, if you want to get the fear of the Lord, if you want to walk in the fear of the Lord, then you have to keep your tongue in check. If there's evil that wants to come out of your mouth, two or three times in the New Testament, it says never return evil for evil. That it, we were... We were I'm going to get this one wrong. I want to say created, but maybe it's saved for for the purpose of a blessing, right? So if you want to understand fear of the Lord, if you desire life and length of days that you may see good, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Man, if we could guard that thing with a big old padlock, and it couldn't work until we've heard the Holy Spirit, and we take the padlock off because he said it's okay to speak, that thing that was stirring around, excuse me, in our heads, it will guard our soul from troubles. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. How much trouble do you get into as a result of emotion? The, the emotion that the Holy Spirit's been really, really, really pressing on me is anger. I can't tell you how many, people, how many times people have told me that... Um, you know, there's anger. God, God has a righteous anger. And I think to myself, that's true. And, and anger, there must be some good purpose for that emotion. But we're not God. And, and they say, well, it just says in your anger, do not sin. And I say to them, okay. 
But I promise you, more often than not, if you allow anger to come up, you will sin. Job was praised in, um, in the Bible, in the book of Job. I can't remember where it is. But he said, in all these afflictions and all these terrible things that were happening to Job, that he never sinned with his mouth. He says he never sinned with his mouth. Anger could cause. His wife said, why don't you just curse God and then die? I'm thinking to myself, well, that's stupid. If I curse God and then die, I'm not going to go and have a good time after that, right? Let's just don't curse God. Let's live, right? But let's keep anger in check. Um, Luke 6.45. The man, or excuse me, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. From the abundance of the heart, of, of what's going on inside of us, bubbles up and that's what comes out of our mouth. So the question is, what's filling our hearts? Are our hearts filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all those kinds of things? Is that what's filling our hearts? And if it's not, how to get in there? Do we let our guards down? Are we not pressing into the Lord? Are we sowing the world into ourselves, however we might do that? And not sowing the Spirit? What's in our hearts? From the abundance of what's in that heart, your mouth is going to speak. If you struggle with anger, and you struggle with saying the wrong kind of words, then you've got to ask yourself, how's that getting in my heart? Because that's where it's coming from. That's the abundance that flows out of your lips. Proverbs 4, verse 23 and 24. New Testament, now Old Testament. Watch over your heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you believe the scripture that that teaches us that from the abundance of our heart, our words come out, and if you believe that there's power in words, in a minute I'm going to read you Proverbs, I think it's 21, that says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, then you've got to be concerned with what's in your heart. Scripture says to guard it with all diligence. Then it says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So we've got to ask ourselves, what do I treasure? Do I treasure things like humility? Do I treasure godly things? Or do I treasure worldly things? Because where our treasure is, is where our heart will be. If you're not sure about your heart... Be honest with yourself and say, what do I treasure? And, and if the answer comes back something that you don't feel too good about on a Sunday morning, that's okay. But you ask God to help you. You ask him to show you. You ask him to help you. My, my desire to be flat on my face or washing somebody's feet, not top of the list, right? But the Lord has taught me and he's sown into me because I've asked him to make me like Jesus so that I'm more and more like that. The things that's so amazing, you know, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz was my very first prayer. So it's like, this is awesome. You know, that I got saved. People said all the while before I got saved, people kept telling me, oh, God loves you. He wants to bless you. I, all I knew for blessing was stuff. And I wanted stuff, you know, and I had lots of stuff already. That was my prayer. Okay, Lord, this is great. Let's start blessing me. I didn't understand. But the, the, the transition that comes, the transformation that comes from the renewing of our minds, all of a sudden you find yourself never praying for yourself. Never. Never ever praying for yourself. 
Well, how'd that happen? Where, I want someone else to have a Mercedes-Benz now. And honestly, I could care less if anybody drives a Mercedes. I want the marriage fixed. I want Hunter out of the wheelchair. I want God to get glory. I'm not a great guy. I'm just a guy who's being transformed. I mean, that's just how it is. When we sow into the Spirit, he sows into us Christ. Proverbs 18, verse 21. I was thinking it was Proverbs 21. It's 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It's true. People die a little bit every day from people who beat them down with their mouth, who beat them down with their mouth. And then what happens is with children, then they get older, and they need deliverance, and they need counseling, and they need all these things. When all that had to happen was their parents to tell them who they really are. You're wonderful. God loves you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit you together in mom's womb. He planned you with more thoughts before the foundation of this world, exactly who you'd be. Kaya, you, exactly how God wants you to be. Everything about you, the color of your hair, the way that you receive from people, the the smile that's on your face, everything about you is exactly how God wants you to be. It's awesome and you're beautiful. God bless you. Build them up. Don't put death on people with your words. Don't do it. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. I'm telling you, he will. If he's in there and you'll sow into knowing him and having a relationship with him and you say, Lord, don't ever let that come out of my mouth, you'll start to get a check. You'll get a check. And and if you've never had the check, you won't recognize it at first, but it'll keep coming. And then you'll start to wonder and then you'll start to know it. And then pretty soon before the thoughts are just starting to form in your mouth, maybe anger's getting on you. You'll feel the check and you'll know what it is. And you'll submit yourself to the Lord and no damage done. You'll switch that death to life, the curse to blessing. James gives us a sense for how how powerful our tongue is. In chapter 3, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. When the tongue starts a fire, right? talks about this great fire and the forest burns down. The fire can't say to the tree, I'm sorry, and the tree just reappears. When the tree is burned up, the tree is burned up, and it takes a long time for that tree to grow back. In our relationships, and, and the worst place we seem to do it is with the people that we love the most. It's maybe where we feel the safest. There's some, there's some place in our hearts that's not all the way healed yet. But we wouldn't let that, that pain out on somebody else because they don't need us so bad. But on our child on our wife, on our husband, on somebody who got no place really else to go, we let that come out. We need to be praying that God would heal us in our hearts so that we never start that tree on fire. When you let that word out, I know with me and Teresa, um, if I, I mean, I don't call her names, thank God, but, but if, if I were ever to call Teresa a name, that would leave such a wound that would take more than months to fix. 
when I don't capture my words and just the tone of my voice isn't loving towards my wife, maybe because of that authority place I have in her life, I don't know, but it's a big old deep hole that we got to climb out of together that never we had to be in. The tongue is so, so, so powerful. The ship, the picture of the ship to me is excellent because I use the Holy Spirit as the rudder. Like people that don't know the Lord or Christians that don't know God's word are like this great big ship. All the sails are up. Wind is blowing like crazy and they're just going wherever the wind is blowing them. The word, the Holy Spirit is the rudder that guides the ship. You'd be blown all over the place without your rudder down in the water. The same is true with the power of the wind against that big ship and those big sails. The little tiny rudder, the tongue, decides the direction of that ship. Excellent word pictures that they use, or he uses. One last specific. Proverbs 26 and verse 20 says, For lack of wood the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, contention dies down. Whisperer is a gossip. When you see a whisperer in the Bible, I think always, but I'll I'll only be bold enough to say at least most of the time, God's speaking of someone that gossips. So if the gossip is the wood, right? And he says, for the lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. If you're in a place of contention, there's probably somebody whispering. Gossip creates contention. And inside the church, it's even worse because we're called to be so tightly intertwined with one another that God's purposes can be accomplished in us and through us. But when we whisper and we talk about things that aren't our business, it brings contention, and contention brings division. And division causes God's body to not be effective in its purpose for his kingdom. Okay, we'll wrap up with this. I've given you a homework assignment this week. A fast and a feast. All right? So we're going to fast for a whole week. Every single day. Sorry, I'm just thinking about how much I hate to fast. I mean, it's a good (laughs) spiritual discipline, but I don't like it very much. But we're not going to fast food. We're going to fast any word that doesn't fit into the three E's that doesn't encourage or edify or exhort, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will stir us so we'll know. Because those words start with thoughts and then they come out of our mouth from the abundance of our heart. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will stir us and that we'll have an extra portion of grace to bite down on those words that can't come out. Okay? So for a whole entire week, we're going to really do our very best to never speak a negative word to anybody. Positive words. That's the feast. You have no limit on how many I love you's you say this week. You could start in the morning, I love you. You could finish at the end of the day, I love you. No limit on words that are encouraging, edifying, or would exhort somebody. Okay? All right, so we're going to practice a little bit. You can repeat after me. Ready? Thank you. That was an easy one. I love you. I'm sorry? I love you too. (laughs) I believe in you. Good job. You know what? Let me just stop. If, if, you, if you ever met Nanette, here Nanette, you would know these principles because they're not just for what you speak about or to somebody else. It's what you speak about and to yourself. Don't curse yourself with your words. Bless yourself with your words. See yourself and speak of yourself the way God does. The Bible says about 
somebody, I forget the scripture, but basically he spoke things not as they were, but as they were going to be. He spoke them as though they were. So if there's an area of your life that you're less than, speak as though it is. Lord, I'm prophetically speaking over my own life that I am going to walk in holiness, that I am going to love my wife as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Stuff like that. Okay, back to practice. All right, gentlemen, just you this time. You're a great wife. All right. Feels good, doesn't it? All right, everybody, I forgive you. I bless you. I'm proud of you. Okay, hold on. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, those are just some primers, just some ones you can start with. All right? I love you. I'm proud of you. You're a wonderful daughter. You're a great dad. You're the best mom ever. God loves you so much. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're going to do great things in the kingdom. Sickness is going to bow to the name of Jesus Christ at the end of your hand. Tormented people are going to get delivered. Lost people are going to get saved. Why? Because you're going to share Jesus with them. Because you're awesome. God loves you. Whew. Man. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your teaching, for your word. Thank you that you say so much in your word about words. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that... Be just like Jesus, that we speak what we hear you saying. And if we don't hear you saying it, we don't speak. That our words would be loving and encouraging. That they would be born from the fruit of your spirit, Lord. That each and every person that comes into contact with us, and by virtue of meeting us, they meet you, would leave better than they came. That we won't curse. We won't speak negatively. We'll be positive, we'll be light, we'll be preserving salt in this world that you've given us to conquer. We ask you and we give you permission to stir us, Lord, away from words that don't edify, encourage, or exhort, and to prompt us towards words that do. Lord, we ask to see every person, especially those that are dearest to us, with your eyes, to hear their voices with your ears, and to love with your heart. Fill us, Lord, full of your love. Leak us all over everyone that we see, and fill us some more. I feel confident that I'm praying in your will this morning. I do it in Jesus' name. Amen.